continue our worship this morning by unpacking some of God's word. Amen? Amen. My name is Daniel Sutton, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. I want to thank our lead pastors, Chris and Jody Tomlinson, for the opportunity to continue our all-in series. Last Sunday, Pastor Chris took us through Acts chapter 12. We saw how Herod was no match for the power of God. Amen? We saw how secure he thought he had Peter held within prison with two chains and four squads of soldiers, Roman sentries guarding the doors, and then the city's gates tightly locked. And then we saw with what ease the angel of the Lord led Peter to freedom. His chains fell off. He just walked right out in front of all of the guards, and the doors fortifying the city swung right open on their own. Herod's prize got away, and Herod was humiliated and then eaten by worms. The king, who would have people think he was God, was literally eaten from the inside out by worms. And through it all, the word of God grew and multiplied throughout that region. Amen? Amen. Today, we will work our way through Acts chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. We'll have it on the screens as well. We're going to read Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 16, and then verses 42 through 52. Verses 17 through 41 is Paul's sermon, and you'll notice that most of it is in quotations. Therefore, you can find it elsewhere, and I would strongly encourage you to check that out later today. We will highlight some of that sermon as we work through the chapter this morning. All right, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now. For the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. 
when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. For he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you, God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Fast forward to verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against what, whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad. And thank the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the gift that your word is. We thank you for how it lights our path. We thank you that if we would hide it in our hearts, we won't sin against you. Lord, I ask your blessing upon this part of the service this morning, that it would be easy to unpack your word today, that it would be easy to receive all that you have for us in your word today. Give us ears to hear your voice so clearly. Help us to understand. Help us to apply it to our lives, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Verse 1, we start off with five guys, and I don't mean the delicious burger joint, but that sounds amazing right about now. We start off with these five guys who are mentioned, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. This was a very diverse group of gentlemen. You could even say this was a dysfunctional group of men, kind of like church. These men were different ethnicities from different countries and cultures, different belief systems and backgrounds. Some of them had some pretty shady friends and acquaintances. Some of them had a pretty shady past themselves that they wanted to forget and sure would like others to forget about them. But look, what do we find them doing? These five guys who are so very different, they're not arguing, 
They're worshiping. They're praying. They're fasting. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't any tension at times. That doesn't mean that there weren't uncomfortable moments. Have you ever known someone, raise your hand, have you ever known someone that loved Jesus deeply, just like you love Jesus deeply, but there was still this relational disconnect? Go ahead, raise your hand. Hopefully they're not sitting beside you. Yeah, I think that's what this group experienced from time to time. But what did they do? They all focused on what they had in common, what Christ had done in their hearts and the work of which, what Christ had called them to accomplish. And I love that this shows us that all the way back in the early church, there was no discrimination, not racial or otherwise, for those in church leadership or those in fellowship. Amen? That's the way that it should be. Now, our two main characters are Barnabas and Saul. We already know Saul pretty well. Let's get to know Barnabas a little better. We first met him in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. His name was Joseph, but he got this nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That gives us a glimpse into his character. He was a generous man, unselfish, always trying to meet the needs of others. He actually sold his land and gave the money to the church. And he tried to meet as many Christian needs that he could. In Acts chapter 9, verse 27, we see him again. Barnabas reached out to Saul following his conversion. And then later on, he would even vouch for Saul to the church at Antioch. In Acts eleven twenty-two, Barnabas was the one who was sent to Antioch when the Gentiles started turning to the Lord. He was the church's representative. In Acts eleven twenty-four, we see that Barnabas was, quote, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. He sounds like a pretty solid dude, if you ask me. That's Barnabas. This is Paul's partner in ministry. In verse 2, we see these five guys worshiping the Lord. And another translation says that they ministered to the Lord. Not ministered for the Lord. Of course they did that as well. But here it says they ministered to the Lord. Isn't that a neat thought? Raise your hand if someone has ever told you that, you know, what you said or did ministered to them. Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay? That's a, nice, that's a nice thing to hear, right? That makes you feel good. Now imagine the Lord saying that to you. Son, daughter, you ministered to me today. Prayer and fasting and worship is how these men ministered to the Lord, and then it positioned them to hear from the Holy Spirit. Church, prayer, fasting, and worship ministers to the Lord and then positions you to hear from the Holy Spirit. Three weeks ago, we spent a good bit of time talking about fasting, the importance of prayer and fasting, and here we see it again actually being applied. And when the people of God pray and fast, it rises up like an incense to God, a pleasing aroma, similar to what the priests would have lit as an offering of smoke and a burnt offering. So these, these men are ministering to the Lord, and then the Holy Spirit, as a result, spoke to them and said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul, or set apart Barnabas and Saul for me and the work I have called them to do. It is the Holy Spirit who calls and sends. Amen? 
Now, when I read that the Holy Spirit spoke, I can't help but wonder, what did he sound like? Who did he sound like? James Earl Jones, perhaps? Morgan Freeman? I don't know. This is just some of the things I think about. It is no mistake. It is no coincidence that these prophets and teachers were worshiping and fasting when the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Hear that. Worship and fasting are not the only times that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He can speak to you whenever he wants to, amen? But the Holy Spirit will certainly speak to you in these times of worship and fasting. Are we listening? In verses 3 and 4, we see that after prayer and fasting, then there was some more prayer and fasting, sort of a theme here. And then it led them into action and obedience and Barnabas and Paul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, we see one of two mentions of John Mark. It seems so random, right? Why is he mentioned in there? He went as the assistant. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Why do we need to know that? John Mark went with Barnabas and Saul on this, their first missionary journey. He went as their assistant. He also happened to be the cousin of Barnabas. And when they got to Pamphylia, John Mark said, peace he left, and we're not entirely sure why. There, there could be a few reasons. So when it came time for the second missionary journey of Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas wanted to bring his cousin again. Hey, Paul, let's bring Bar uh, John Mark again. And Paul's like, uh, no, he bailed on us. He deserted us there. So there, this disagreement became so strong. This was such a riff in the relationship that they actually split up, and then two teams were formed. Barnabas took his cousin, John Mark, and Paul took Silas. Fast forward, and eventually they reconciled, and John Mark would even go on to assist Paul later on some other missions. Why do I unpack all that? I think it shows us that God can overcome our human failures and still use us. God can restore rocky and broken relationships, especially for the sake of Christ and his gospel preached. Amen? Your failures do not disqualify you from being used by God. In verses 6 and 7, we meet a sorcerer. His name is Bar-Jesus or Elimus. Two different names given here. One's the Greek name. And he attached himself to the governor, to Sergius Paulus, who the Bible makes a point to tell us is an intelligent man. This sorcerer was threatened by the power of God that he sensed in these men of God, Barnabas and Saul. And his intent was to interfere and persuade the governor not to listen to them and to stop him from believing. This reminds me of two characters that we see in some movies. Any Lord of the Rings fans? All right. Grimma Wormtongue was lying to, deceiving, and manipulating Theoden, the king of Rohan, right? And then, of course, any Disney fans? At least, like, old-school Disney fans? Ah, there are four hands there, okay. Jafar, of course, doing the same to the sultan in Aladdin, right? What's the point? The enemy will always try to interfere and disrupt what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish, the enemy will always try and rear his ugly head and get in the way of what God wants to do in your life and what God wants to do through your life to impact others. 
We need to recognize this and we need to call it out and rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus when he tries. The enemy will try to distract you and try to lie to you. And it's because he is threatened by the spirit of God living and working inside of you. If you're not doing anything for the kingdom of God, he's going to leave you alone. Okay, if you're in a season of life that is all sunshine and roses right now, it does not necessarily mean that you are in right standing with God and actively applying the power of God in your life. On the contrary, if all hell seems to be breaking loose against you, it does not necessarily mean that you are in sin, that you're doing the wrong thing and not letting God use you. I have found that Spiritual warfare is often indicative of the power of God at work in our lives. Amen. <laughs> but let me tell you this. Oh, man, I could just camp out there and just keep hitting that drum. Let me tell you this. The gospel preached by those who are called and sent by the Spirit of God will always defeat the devil and his false prophets. Amen? So Sergius Paulus, this governor, or as other versions call him, the proconsul, he wants to hear the word of God. You ever met somebody that they want to hear the word of God? The Bible says that he was an intelligent man. I think that's because he wanted to hear the word of God. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and just pat yourself on the back this morning and say, I'm pretty intelligent. Why am I? You're here to hear the word of God. You are intelligent, brother and sister. The governor was interested. There was something that attracted him and drew him to the word. That's what the word of God does. It attracts. It draws. So maybe the governor was only interested in some more academic information, but he was about to get a whole lot more than that. Amen? In verse 9, it reads that Saul, also known as Paul, did you catch that when we read it? This is a turning point. This, for the rest of the book of Acts, he is called Paul, except when he retells his own conversion story. Then he'll refer to himself as Saul. But Paul now becomes the main character for the rest of Acts. The focus had been on the church in Jerusalem and its leaders, but now it has shifted and it's primarily put on Paul. Paul looked at this sorcerer in the eye. And that, that word looked comes from the Greek word atenizo, meaning to intently gaze or stare. He stared this Jewish sorcerer in the eye, and then he shows us how we should speak to the enemy in verses 10 and 11 with authority from a place of victory. And why did he speak like this? The Bible makes it clear. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he spoke exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted him to say and how he wanted him to say it. Paul knew, he was convinced that the Spirit of God in him was greater than whatever spirit was in that sorcerer. And then Elimus was struck blind. Does that sound familiar? Remember Acts 9, Saul's conversion story? He knew a little bit about living in darkness, both spiritual and literal for that three-day period prior to Barnabas coming to see him. So after hearing the teaching of the Lord, verse 12, and seeing what the Lord had done, this sign and wonder, Sergius Paulus was amazed and became a believer. What do we learn here? 
If we seek God, we will find him. If we listen and receive the word of God, we will be amazed. And we see that God uses signs and wonders to lead people to salvation. Church, I believe the time is now for signs and wonders to accompany the preaching of the word. And I think that's part of the revival that's coming. I really do. In verse 13, we see when John Mark leaves Barnabas and Saul. We already talked about it a, a little bit, but again, this became such a huge sticking point for these men, these friends, these partners in ministry. Such a huge hurdle for them to get over. But they would get through it, and God would restore the relationships that were broken so that his word would continue to spread. And think about this. This is so God. There was one team that was going out on missionary journeys. And then as a result of this rift, there were now two. Their impact, their reach doubled. It was multiplied. Amen? Man, if that's not Romans 8, 28, I don't know what it is. That's God using all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and love him. Clearly, that's these men. And God would use it to further the reach. So now we get to the sermon. Now we get to Acts 13, verses 16 through 41. And this is Paul's first fully recorded sermon on his first missionary journey. And as I mentioned earlier, we're not going to work through the entire sermon this morning because most of it is quoted from other portions of Scripture. But let me give us just a brief overview, okay? This sermon of Paul's gives us an outline of how to preach the gospel. It's beautiful. If you've ever thought, I wish I could share my faith with somebody, or, you know, maybe I'll write a sermon someday just to have it ready. If you've ever had these thoughts, then dig into this sermon later on today. Paul starts with the anticipation of Jesus, the prophecies, the Messiah that was to come. And then he shifts to talk about the actions of Jesus, his coming, his dying, his rising from the grave. And then he gives practical application to those who are listening. And finally, an appeal or invitation for the people to respond to the gospel. This first sermon of Paul's on his first missionary trip reminds me of my first sermon. No, I am not comparing my first sermon to Paul's. I don't think I'd compare any sermon of mine to Paul's. And no, I didn't follow the outline that he laid out here. It just brings to memory my very first sermon, which happened to be on my very first missions trip. I was 15 years old. We were in Thailand. We were ministering at a school and in a tribe to the Aka people. We were in Chiang Rai. We even built a church from the ground up. It was just an amazing experience. And I had the privilege of sharing a couple verses one night at the tribal assembly And there was a translator there that I I got to use, and that was a neat experience. I preached from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Still my favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Other than when I actually read those two verses from my Bible, the rest was pretty pitiful. But the translator must have, you know, jazzed it up enough because God, only how he could, used it to reach and save people that night. It was a cool experience. So there's a worship service happening here, and the traditional portion of the service had already taken place, and then it was sort of open mic time. 
and Paul and Barnabas were invited to share an encouraging word with the people. So Paul takes them up on that offer. In verse 16, we see that Paul stood, stood from the Greek word anastemi, meaning to get up, stand up, or I love this, come back to life. Paul's body was quickened by the Holy Spirit, and he came alive when given the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. Church, anytime we have the opportunity to share the gospel or to encourage somebody, we should come alive because of the Spirit of God inside of us and make the most of that opportunity. As Paul gets started, I love that he hushes the crowd. The Bible says he raises his hand to, to quiet them down. I think about a basketball player on their home court at the free throw line towards the end of a game. You know, might hush him down. Or a quarterback on their home field in the red zone before an important play. And a few things that I want to highlight from the sermon, starting in verse 23 through 25, Paul says that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised Savior that you've heard about. He rewinds from there to say, even before Jesus got on the scene, there was this guy, John the Baptist, who was telling people about Jesus and telling people their need to repent and turn to God and be baptized. This is still true today, and it's still not too late to get baptized today, just like we see referenced here. In verse 26, Paul says something controversial. This is scandalous. He says, this message of salvation is for us. It's for you. It's for me. It's for everybody. It's for Jews. It's for Gentiles. It's for everyone. Praise God. Salvation is for us. Why don't you say salvation is for me? Say it again. Salvation is for me. Aren't you grateful? I'm so grateful. In verses 29 and 30, Paul points out that God had fulfilled every prophecy about the death of Christ. And then they took Jesus down from the cross, and then they put him in a tomb. But God raised him up from the dead. Amen? You want to wonder how to share your faith? Just hit those points right there. Jesus came, he died for you, and then he came back to life because he loves you so much. That's what people need to hear. That's the gospel in a nutshell. In verses 38 through 41, Paul shows us how to receive forgiveness for sin. It's Jesus. It's through Jesus alone that we find forgiveness of sin. And then through faith in Jesus, we're declared right with God. Through faith alone, we're made right in God's sight. Faith alone in Jesus alone does what verse 39 says, quote, something the law of Moses could never do. Faith alone in Jesus alone does something that the law could never do. This is a reference to Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Let's check it out. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now, how could Paul have the nerve to say the entire world is guilty before God? He didn't know everybody, right? His reasoning here, his logic is that if the law shows that the Jews, God's very own special people he was in covenant with, are guilty, then how much more Gentiles who never had the benefit of God's instruction 
and knowing what the law was all about to begin with. In summary, no one can be made right with God by doing. No one can be made right with God by doing. You can't earn your way. You don't deserve the second, third, and 200th chance. You can't be made right with God by doing. No one can do enough good on their own. No one but Jesus ever kept the law perfectly, and no one ever will. That's why Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Salvation is not a reward for the good things we do, so nobody can boast about it. The law shows us how sinful we are. And in that respect, the law was a good thing. It accomplished what it was supposed to. The law of Moses was written to convince people that they were guilty and deserving of God's punishment. Would anybody deny that they were guilty? They, they were deserving of God's punishment, but the grace of God saved them. Raise your hand if that's your story. The purpose of the law was to lead people to deny themselves, stop trying to earn righteousness based on their behavior, and instead trust in Christ and the work that he did on the cross. That is what brings us to God. That is only how we are justified, by Christ alone. We get to verses 42 through 52 now. Paul had just finished this powerful and controversial sermon to both Jews and Gentiles. And that, that mixed audience alone was a big deal. In verses 42 through 44, it says that Barnabas and Paul were begged to come back and share the word again the next week. And that when they did come back, almost the entire city came back to hear them preach the word the following week. Isn't that powerful? Man, what if the whole city of Jacksonville, what if the whole city of Mandarin, Southside, whatever, came here and was hungry for the word of God, begging to hear the word of God? Man, this is such a beautiful picture the people were so hungry for the word of God. It made such an impression on them, that, that service, that they begged these men to come back and share more. But unfortunately, this doesn't sound a whole lot like the modern church. This doesn't, I'm not talking about destiny, but, you know, the church, especially in the United States, has become so accustomed to getting people in, following the scripted order of service, not leaving any room for the Holy Spirit to shift a thing, and do something different, and then try to dismiss them before keeping them too long. You know the hour and a half, maybe hour, 45 minutes that we meet here on a Sunday is quite a bit lengthier than the typical service you'll find around the city or around the nation nowadays. It's because we don't want to inconvenience people. We don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. We don't want to keep them too long. We'll go see a three-hour movie, no problem. We'll watch a ball game, and if it goes to overtime, that's even better. It's like we got our money's worth, right? Oh, but the pastor better not preach more than 45 minutes at most. Man, the people that heard the word of God in Scripture were hungry for it, and they begged to hear more of it. You talk to a missionary, and they'll tell you when they go overseas and get the opportunity to share God's word, that the people want them to keep going. Like, we haven't got any place to be. You know, we can sleep tomorrow. Keep going. Perhaps here in the United States, it's a case of familiarity breeding contempt. Destiny, let that not be the case for us. Amen? 
These people begged Barnabas and Saul to come back and, and preach the word some more. And we see this all throughout the ministry of Jesus, right? The crowds would press into him. Talk about personal space. Like, you know, we like to have a seat or two between us and the next person typically. Don't, don't turn around. Don't turn around. These, these crowds would press on Jesus because they, just, they were hanging on every word. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And if we take a look back through church history, we'll often find that when people hunger for the word of God, it often led to revival. And on the flip side of that, when people grow cold or distant from Christ, it's almost always due to a lack of hunger for his word. Verse 43, I want to mention something quickly here. There's this one line that Paul shared with the people. It seems as if, you know, they're hanging out after service and this conversation is taking place. Paul said, continue in the grace of God. That's it. He urged the people to continue in the grace of God. In other words, keep walking and living in the unmerited favor of God. Live your Christian life not based upon what you can do, but based upon what God already did for you. If that is our focus, then everything that we do for the Lord will be a proper and true reflection of it because it'll be worship. Our heart will be in it. In verses 45 through 50, we see how the gospel has the power to save, divide, unify, and ignite. Paul had just finished saying that he would proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were thrilled. They were ecstatic. They had so much more reason to be excited about this than the Jewish people did. But this was scandalous. The Jews were jealous. The Jews were angry about this. So they tried to stop the gospel from being spread to the Gentiles. In this second service, the one that they were welcomed back to because so many were eager to hear, the Jewish people start verbally abusing Barnabas and Saul. They start um, taking exception with everything that Paul is saying, disputing him there in the moment. Talk about drama. So how do our missionaries respond? They said, hey, we started with you. We started at the synagogue. Verse 5, as they likely always did. But Paul said, we started with you. We went to the synagogue, but you didn't want to hear what we had to say. You judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. So we found a group that wants to listen to this good news we have to share. Now that doesn't mean that God or Paul, you know, were like done with the Jewish people at that point. Not at all. Paul would go back again and again and again, always starting at the synagogue, trying to reason with them, trying to share the truth with them. But every time that they rejected it, he, he did kind of wash his hands of it and move on until next time. This whole situation brought to memory a parable of Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. Jesus tells a parable about a rich man who was putting on a banquet and he invited, he sent his servants out to invite specific people to this banquet. And the servants went out and all those specific people who were invited had an excuse for why they couldn't come. So the master was, you know, unhappy. He sent the servants back out. He said, go invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, anyone and everyone that you can find. Does this sound familiar? It's easy to see who's who in the story here. 
So the Jews are really, really, really upset, and the Gentiles are really, really, really excited. There's this wonderful first service. There's this uh, not as smooth second service, lots of drama, but we see that the word of the Lord continued to spread through the region. How did that happen? There was a new group of Jesus-following Gentiles sharing the gospel now. The Jews stirred up persecution against Barnabas and Saul and ran them out of town, but no opposition would stop the word of the Lord from spreading. Amen? The same is true today. No opposition will stop the word of the Lord from spreading. COVID couldn't do it. You can't meet in person. That couldn't do it. Nothing will stop the word of the Lord from accomplishing what it's supposed to. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Amen? In verse 51, Barnabas and Saul dusted themselves off in protest and left town. This was application of something Jesus had told them to do in Matthew chapter 10 and in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, if a town refuses you, refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. To shake a place's dust from your feet was essentially a proclamation of God's judgment against those people that had driven them out of town. They were sealing their own fate, in a sense, for rejecting the gospel that was being shared by men appointed and sent by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus warned that a people who would reject the gospel and its messengers were a people in a worse position than Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of you understand that reference. If, if you want to know a little bit more, check out Genesis chapter 19, if you're taking note. To learn a little bit more about what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a scary thought. I'll tell you that. Now, this shaking, this dusting off reminds me of a couple songs. If you know me, that's no surprise. There was the, uh, the Aaliyah hit in the year 2000, Try Again. If at first you don't succeed, you can dust it off and try again. Dust yourself off and try again. Right? Anybody? No? Yeah, a couple hands. All right. And I saw, I saw some of you feeling it, even though you didn't raise your hand. You know who you are. And then, of course, there was the 2014 hit by Taylor Swift. Shake it off. Shake it off. Oh, oh, oh. That, in essence, is what these men did. They just shook it off. Now, while this was bad news for those who opposed Paul and Barnabas and the gospel message that they were sharing, this reaction, this obedience that Paul and Barnabas displayed, showed that they were not defeated. On the contrary, they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. They were not joyful at the thought of terrible judgment falling on those who rejected the gospel and persecuted them. Rather, their joy was knowing that they were in the Father's will. They were doing what the Father had told them to do. Their joy was the joy in knowing that whatever persecution they endured helped them better understand the persecution that Christ had endured. So they counted it worthy, to, a blessing to suffer for him and with him. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. God was at work filling their hearts with love and peace and boldness and courage because they were taking on the mantle of Christ and were carrying his cross. 
But what might appear to many as a road of pain was actually the road of peace because it's the road that the Holy Spirit had led them down and walked on with them. And so can it be with us, church. We are messengers of King Jesus. We have the high privilege to steward and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be his witnesses. We get to share in the life and struggles of Paul and Barnabas, but more importantly, we have the privilege of sharing with them in the life of Christ, which, as we've already established, is for all of us. Now, Barnabas and Paul were not the only ones filled with joy in the Holy Spirit that day. It says that the believers, or another version says, literally, the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Why do I point that out? Because these people who had heard the gospel and surrendered their life to Jesus immediately became disciples. When you surrender your life to Jesus, making him the Lord of your life, the implication is that you will follow him as his disciple. That's what we see in scripture. When these people met Jesus, everything changed. They left everything they knew and followed Jesus. The believers became disciples right away. No, they weren't perfect, but they began to follow. And they kept following from that day on. Salvation is not just saying a prayer and then going back to however you lived and whatever you did before, just hoping things will get better. No, it is intentionally forsaking your old ways, following the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. These believers, these disciples, both new and original, were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Really quick look at the Greek for some of these words. Filled with is from the Greek word pleru, meaning to fulfill, make full, or complete. Dig a little deeper, you see this cool thing. The tense that was used for were filled implied ongoing, a continuation of being filled and complete. Joy from the Greek word chara, meaning rejoicing, happiness, gladness. And Holy Spirit from the Greek word pneuma, meaning spirit, heart, mind, ghost, wind, breath. Put it all together and what do you got? The disciples were continually full of rejoicing, gladness, and the very heart, mind, and breath of God. That is what a disciple of Christ should be filled with. Church, I want to encourage every one of you to make some time to minister to the Lord this week, to begin a lifestyle of ministering to the Lord. Yes, for the Lord. But start with ministering to the Lord, and then you'll be so much more effective in ministering for the Lord. Okay, put your oxygen mask on first, okay? That's where our story began. Before the two, two of the greatest missionaries ever were appointed, called, and sent out by the Holy Spirit, they were ministering to the Lord. Are you still waiting to hear what God's plans and purposes are for you? Are you still waiting for some answers? Take some time and minister to the Lord and see how he might speak to you as a result. Spend some time in prayer and in fasting and in worship. And I want to challenge those of you that, that did not participate in our 21-day fast here recently. That's between you and God. I know there could be a number of reasons. But I want to ask that today, ask God how he wants you to fast. 
Ask him how he wants you to minister to him. And for how long? And then would you do it? Really, really prayerfully consider doing that. Because church, if you seek God, you will find him. If you listen and receive his word, you will be amazed. And the enemy will try to distract you, but never forget that the spirit of God inside of you is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? You can go ahead and kill those lights, guys. Perhaps you're here this morning in person or viewing online, and you feel like one of the Gentiles in the story. You feel like you're hearing all this new and exciting stuff for the first time. Well, I want you to know that just as this salvation message was for the Jews and for the Gentiles, it is for you. And it's in Jesus alone, and he is here today. Jesus loves you so much, and he died for you, and he came back to life, and he wants to be in relationship with you. Through Jesus alone, there is forgiveness of sin. And through faith alone, we are made right in God's sight. Do you want to meet Jesus? Do you want to place your trust in him? Do you want to accept Christ in your heart today? You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But the offer still stands. So if you want to surrender your life to Christ, I'm going to ask heads bowed, eyes closed, Christians quietly praying in agreement. If you want to surrender your life to Christ today and make him your Lord and Savior, then I want to ask you to raise your hand. watching online, I want you to just type there in the comment section, I have decided that'll allow us an opportunity to follow up with you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you're speaking, Holy Spirit. Let us hear your voice more clearly than we ever have before. Let us experience your presence in a heavier way than we ever have before. Help us to see others how you see them. Help us to make time to minister to you in prayer and worship and fasting. Remind us that whenever we face opposition from the enemy, that's just a sign that we must be doing something right. Let that draw us closer to you and be filled even more with your spirit and power. Thank you that we have victory in you, Jesus. Lord, all that we are or ever hope to be, we give to you. And all that you are, we receive as ours. Help us to not live focused on what we can do, but just reminded of what you have already done for us. Help us live from a place of gratitude and help us to follow you and keep following you every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, strong son of God.